This is my battlefield This is my one and only life My family depending on me One shot to get it right Welcome into the I'm Pursuit of Manliness podcast where we are vigorously Equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. Men, I want to thank you for taking the time and stopping by and listening to today's show. Today's show uh, is very foundational to what the Pursuit of Manliness is all about. But beyond that, it is foundational to who we are as men of God. I've had the privilege of sharing the message that I'm about to share on today's podcast with uh, some other podcast interviews and at men's retreats and other environments, but I really thought, really was convicted of it recently. I need to make sure I get this on a podcast so we can continue this conversation within the pursuit of manliness, but also beyond. So we really grab onto what does it look like to be a man of God. The pursuit of manliness is not Eagle Scouts for grown men, where we just gather a bunch of men together and learn how to sharpen our skills and have a little man club. It really is about being better men, better husbands, better fathers, better uh, men in our church, better volunteers in our community, better Little League coaches, whatever it is that we understand the most important things need the most amount of our time and the most amount of our focus. And so when I personally got really serious about being a man of God and I was sick of the really apathetic and mundane life that I was leading, I thought, you know, the best place of of finding out what it means to be a man of God would be the pages of Scripture. So I went to Genesis, and I began to write down, and I still have the journals, and I'd write down, you know, Adam, and I'd write down Cain and Noah, and and all the things I was learning from them, things that God spoke to them, or the ways that they interacted, and Jacob and Joseph, etc. And I began to move through this list of men, and and what I started to do in the beginning was really just blog about it. And I'd blog about, you know, um, one of the men throwing a fit, or one of the men doing this, or whatever it was, and I just started putting thoughts uh, typing them out and putting them into like short, you know, 250, 500 word blog post about, you know, just something that stood out to me from their life. And all that's good. And I, and I think it's necessary and I think it's important. I think there is a place for that. But then I really began to think about, okay, what is this? So the idea of the pursuit of manliness, it's not something you're going to find in the pages of Scripture. I, I don't even think the word manliness is in Scripture at all. It's just a, an idea that was generated in my brain um, from a dialogue with a, a good friend of mine, and it kind of just manifests itself into this idea of this movement of moving men towards pursuing every single day, meaning we're not there yet, of becoming uh, biblically strong men. So I went back to Genesis once again, and I went to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and I found what I believe is five things, five things that are incredibly foundational to us as men when it comes to understanding why we are created. What's our purpose? How do we live this out? And these five things, this is important, are before sin enters the world. So since sin has entered the world, we have tried to decide, is it good to be a man or is it not good to be a man? Is there masculinity? Is there toxic masculinity? And all that other crap. And I'm not interested in that at all. And frankly, that's why I don't speak on that hardly ever uh, in any of my uh, pl- platforms, uh, podcasts, whatever, I, I want to pursue biblical manliness. What does the Bible give me? What's the foundation of this? What's the point of all of this? And so what I want to do is get into these five things. They're real simple. And if you would, I'd encourage you to go to Genesis 1 and 2 and, and mark them up. Highlight them. I'm not pulling these out of some strange text. Everything I'm going to share with you today, you're going to say, 
You know, I think I've heard that. I, I think I've, I've, I remember that in the creation account, or I remember that you know being taught to me in a maybe small group, a sermon, or whatever. It's not that hard. But when you put them together, there's a picture of this is what a man of God looks and lives like. And once again, it's not a matter of what's politically correct. doesn't matter what's offending you or what does offend someone else. It's a matter of what did God say. And I want you to know this. When you get your own universe, you can dictate the laws of nature and how things work and how they function. Until you get that, you have to submit to God's supreme power in being. And that's that's what I'm trying to do today. So I'm going to look at this, uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start with the very first, most foundational point to this. And is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You jump down to 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The first thing you must understand, you are an image bearer of your creator. You are an image bearer of God. Okay. This is really, really important. This is probably not something I know it's, I know it's not for me, not something that I think about on a regular basis. When I get ready in the morning and I'm, you know, combing my my beard, put my beard oil in, get my, you know, my teeth brushed, look in the mirror, cue tipping it up. I don't think about, you know what, you are an image bearer of God. No, I'm just not. I just don't think that. And this is important that we do begin to think this way because Satan will do whatever he can to destroy anything that is created in the image of God. He has been relentlessly trying to do that since the creation of the world, even manipulating God's one commandment to avoid a certain tree to not eat from it. And what did he do? He twisted the words. He began to manipulate it. He did the same thing to Jesus in Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted out in the wilderness for these 40 days. He wants to twist it and he wants to manipulate it. What does that look like in our day? One of the most basic principles or one of the most basic um, movements, if you will, is this gender fluidity that you you could be whatever you want to be. We're going to have a child. We're going to let the child decide if it's male or female. And I got bad news for you. The first time you have to pee, that decision will be made for you. You you know, there, it's the doctor doesn't get to decide it. Your parents did not get to decide it. You do not get to decide it. God has already decided it for you because he is God. And he's decided that you are male or you are female. That, that, that's how that works. But if we decide we can be whatever we want, whatever we feel like, you know what, I feel like I have more of a tendency this way or that way. What you're doing is slapping God in the face and saying, thank you for making me in your image, but I'll take it from here. And that is not going to work. You must understand you are created in the image of God. He has decided the color of hair you have. He's decided the height that you're going to be. He's decided a lot of things for you. Now, there's tremendous freedom within all that. All those things. And God gives us so much flexibility in this life that we live for him. We are created to reflect his image in our in our life, in our marriage, in our work ethic. A lot of things that we're going to talk about here. This is why this one is so foundational. First and foremost, we are image bearers of the living God. The second one is this. And later on, verse 26, he says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What this means to me is that we are to have a presence. Listen, if you walk out in the woods, the deer 
know you have a presence there. This is why you do all you can to mask your scent. Uh, you get dressed in the car. There's certain things you do to, to, uh, honor that, right? The same way if you go fishing, etc. The the animals don't have to be told that's a human, stay away from them, right? The majority of the animals, the majority of the animal kingdom go, human, get away. God has wired them that way. And so we are to be men who have presence, not just when we hunt and fish and, and those types of things, but we're to have a presence in our life that we're to add value to an environment. When we show up, it should mean something. When you come home tonight, it should mean something that the environment is better because you are there. You are to have dominion. You are to have presence and value to that, right? And this happens in conversation. When Are you a man who adds value in your conversation? Do you carefully choose your words? Do you carefully think about the words that you are communicating? You're to have value in your work ethic, that they're so thankful you're on the team. They're thankful that you are a part of the company, the part of the staff. Or if you're leading people that are on your in your company or on your staff, that you're letting them know. And that's part of your presence, that when they see you coming and they see you in a meeting and they see you being part of a conversation, they know you're a person who brings value, that they'll be better because of their time with you. Are you a, are you a man that upholds biblical standards because of your presence? Listen, listen, we, we, we don't joke like that around him. Yeah, he, that's not, he doesn't tolerate that. Or we don't have that. You know, do, they, do they notice that there is something different about you because of your presence? Same with volunteering and all these things. Do they have to manipulate you to get you involved? Or are you there and you say, I'm here. I'm ready to add value. When you show up to church, do you add value or do you plop down? Are you there to say, okay, what can I do? How do I make this better? Or are you there to say, how can I enjoy this and take from it? I drank the coffee. I checked my kids in. I sang my songs. I picked them all back up. I threw my coffee cup away, maybe. And um, and now I'm going home. Listen, there, any, anybody can do that. Any, anybody can do that. Are, do you make the place better because you're here? Do you make the place better because you're a part of that? The third one is this, we are to be fruitful and multiply. It says, God bless them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And he goes on talking about dominion once again. Now, I want you to know this idea of being fruitful and multiply. While it does lean towards childbearing and filling the earth with more people, it's not just fruitful and multiplication through childbearing. Because it, let's say you never were able to have children, and you go, well, I get a pass on this. It's, this doesn't pertain to me. Or you get to the age where you're no longer having children. Praise Jesus, that's me. You're no longer having children. You say, we're done. We're done having kids. So you don't have to be fruitful and multiply no more. Simply put, this means that a man gives more than he takes. Once again, the, the, the environment, the team, the, the family, the home, the whatever, is better because you are there. This idea of multiplication that you replicate yourself you know, in other people, that you're investing in the lives of young men, that you're teaching them how to be better husbands, that you're looking for how can I volunteer in ministries. We have so many young guys, young men, young husbands you know, in our churches, and, and we're always like, how do we get them involved? We shouldn't be asking that question. If you're a man of God, don't make your church ask the question, how to get you involved. You get involved and you lead the way and your wife will follow. 
Your kids will learn from that and they'll, they'll follow as well. My kids are now getting to the age where they want to be involved in ministry and they want to serve. Why? Because we tried to do our best to talk highly of serving the church and the why behind us, doing ministry and things within the church. We are to be fruitful and we are to multiply. When you come to the table, theoretically speaking, you come to the table with other men. Is it better because you're there? Is it better because of, the, the again, the conversation that, that you give more than you take? Now, there's some guys that are just bad relationally because they're always taking, 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 taking. It's always about them. It's always about what they want. It's always about their team. It's always about their politics. It's always about their job. And at some point, you're like, man, I don't, I don't care to have a conversation with that guy anymore. It's tiring. I don't want to be a part of that. Then we move over to chapter 2. Verse uh, 5 says, When no bush of the field it was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. From that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now what we get from this text is we are to work and to keep what God has entrusted to us. God took the man from dirt, formed him into a human, and breathed life into his nostrils. That is incredible to say the least, okay? So he creates man, he creates this human guy, Adam, and he immediately takes him and he puts him in the garden and he gives him something to do. Men, we, we have to do things. Men, you need a job, it's not time to find yourself. It's not time to take on some marginal hobbies. It's not time to try to you know, level up your life with things that add absolutely no value to your wife and children at all. It's time to work. Now, we are not to be slaves to our work. That too often, men find all their purpose in their job. And so if, you're, if your employment were to fire you today, suddenly you would have no purpose. Or if your job is going really well and you go home, and then you see your, your wife and children as a hindrance to your purpose. Well, when I get out of here on Monday, I'm back to my purpose. I'm back to the place where I have authority. My word matters. Teams, you know, they shudder when I walk in the room because they know, you know, we, we, we want to be men of presence wherever we go. But we also need to understand we work and keep what has been trusted to us. And that means you give 100% at work and you give 100% at home. That seems like a lot, right? It seems nearly impossible. Because if you're like me, sometimes you've pulled into that driveway to come home and you're not really ready to be home. You're tired. Your ego's taking a hit. You're, t- you're tired of the emails. I mean, everything is just kind of wearing you down. You're like, I, I'm not even ready to walk into that place. And just know the people that are in there, uh, they're for you and they are with you far more than anybody at work or anybody that's part of your church or whatever. That, that's your crew. That's your tribe. That's your camp that you are to protect and you are to take care of. What an opportunity you have in front of you. So if that means you need to drive around the block one more time to get yourself right, then do that. You need to grab a Pepsi or something on the way home. Man, you do that. But you be all in when you walk in. And we're going to get into that in the last point, why that's so important. But I want you to know this. While your job is not your purpose in life, your purpose in life should be something that directly benefits your wife and children, the quality of life, not just that you can pay for their braces or an education, but your purpose is that something you live out. You don't live out your employment. At least you're not supposed to. Now, while it's not your purpose in life, I do say this, and I say it all the time. If you do not desire to be the absolute best at what you do, then you need to do something else. 
because that means you're stealing money. And if you work at a job and you're just, well, I'm just doing it because I'm just filling time until my next employment or I'm looking for the next, you know, um, opportunity to advance or move on, uh, you're taking from them. And when you take something from them that's dishonest, then you're stealing. And if you do not want to be the absolute best at what you do, I don't care if you're the CEO or the guy in the mailroom or anybody in between or whatever your role is. I don't care if you're an Uber driver, an eBay salesman. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I just, I just want to encourage you. I want to implore you. Pursue being the absolute best version of that you can possibly be. Go all in. God is not going to bless you with any more if you're trying to leverage some opportunity for a different opportunity, God's not going to bless you with any more if you're not responsible with what you've already been given. God's not going to bless you with a, a greater opportunity if your character is not ready for it. That if you're not in a place to receive that because you haven't been doing the work, sometimes the opportunities haven't come because you're just not ready for it. You think you are, but you're not. And so I want you to, to pursue that. Be the absolute best in every environment where your feet tread. If you show up there, be the best version of that. If you're in the nursery this weekend and you're holding babies or rocking them or patting the Bible, whatever, you be the best pat the Bible guy that church has ever seen. You volunteer for youth ministry, you be the best youth ministry volunteer that place has ever seen. If you're going to volunteer at your kid's soccer or whatever, a lot of times that's that's the problem. A lot of times right there. We're so much more into our kids' sports, being the best coach, the best parent, the best room mom, the best whatever. That's the spiritual stuff, the stuff that really does matter in life. We stink at it. Be be the best at what matters the most, okay? Let's move on to the last one here. This is God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds in heavens and every beast of the field. Now, what has he been called up to this point? He's been called man. Verse 20 says the man, uh, forgive me, and it says, but for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And everyone said, Amen. Lastly, if we are going to marry, we marry a woman, men, okay? You are to marry a woman. I don't care if you fall in love uh, with your lawnmower. God says if you are to marry, you are to marry a woman. God looked around as man was naming all these animals. He says there's not a suitable helper for him. The first time we see man's name is when there's a problem, when there's a tension, we have the same thing. God calls us by name. What's the problem and tension? And the tension there between us and God, we're sinners. We're separated from God because of our sin. The solution, Jesus. The solution for Adam in that moment, Eve. He made a woman out of his rib. He caused him to take a nap. Adam names all the animals, falls asleep. While he's sleeping, God does a little work on him, takes a rib out, gives him a belly button, gives it to Eve. Adam wakes up, bam, naked woman standing right in front of him. He went to the zoo, took a nap, found a woman staying right in front of him. That's a pretty good Saturday. That's a great Saturday Adam just had right there. If you're going to marry, you marry a woman. 
That's how God made it. And he says, man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Why are we responsible for all these things? Because a man is supposed to be the one who initiates the family. And while we are both creating God's image, which means we are equal, neither one is superior or inferior to the other, but we have different roles and responsibilities. Well, I don't like that. We want to do it different. Great. Do it different than the way God does it. Fine. And see how well that's going to work for you. It's not going to go well for you at all. Scripture's pretty clear. God knows exactly what he's doing. And so for me to have three children, I pray specifically for their spouse each night. So for my daughters, I'll think about a certain daughter. I'll say I'm praying for her future husband, and I'm praying for his parents. I'm praying for her in-laws, okay? And then for my son, I will pray for his future bride, his future wife. Uh, God, I'm also praying for her parents, his future in-laws. We pray for them very specifically every night because the world will tell you anybody can do anything, and you shouldn't be allowed to ever tell them anything is wrong. God says, you know, I've kind of come up with a plan, and it's, you know, it's been working since the creation of the world. I think I'm going to stick with it. And so we pray for that. God, send the right people there because I believe their future spouse is out there somewhere. Their future in-laws are out there right now. And we're praying for them that they be pure, that they be holy, that they would know Jesus, that they would be connected to a church, that they would guard their hearts, that God would go before them, that he would show them favor, that he'd be a shield of protection around them. I mean, every night, it doesn't take long to do this. I'll step into each one of their rooms and pray this because I firmly believe Satan will do whatever he can to destroy us as men destroy our marriage, and destroy our children. And we fight that battle every single day. But man, we don't do it just by winging it. We go back to these five things. These five things that God gave us in Genesis 1 and 2, and we lean into them that we are an image bearer of God, that we are to be men of presence. We are to be fruitful and multiply. We work and keep what has been entrusted to us. And lastly, if we're going to marry, we marry a woman and we are responsible for her. What an incredible plan God has set before us. Let's be men who embrace that. Now, I know once you get into Genesis 3, sin enters the world, and man, it gets crazy the rest of the Bible. And up to the day that I'm recording this podcast, there's all kinds of sin and messiness and things around us. Let's go back and let's stay anchored into the fact of this is what's got, this was God's design for us. That didn't change. Now, sin makes things blurry, and it makes it pretty easy to begin to drift away. Stay anchored to truth. Stay anchored to this foundation. And men, it will not be for a lack of effort of you pursuing being a, a, a man of God who is grounded in, in what the scriptures tell us. These five things, men, write them down somewhere. Find a way to have this conversation. Talk to your wife about this. You see things in here as you go through the scripture that are good for her as well. Share that with her. That's part of leading well in this. And then we will continue to vigorously equip men to pursue biblical manliness as we pursue biblical manliness. So men, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We all have people in our life who need us to get this right. And if we lay the foundation, we have a great opportunity to build from there. 
So, man, I want to encourage you to get in our closed Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Pursuit of Manliness. we got 2,000-plus guys in there, man. Great conversation, good men there. If you're in that group and you're listening to this podcast, man, I appreciate your presence in there. Add value, ask questions, get involved in the conversation. Make sure to invite other guys in there that you think would help us build better men together. And, of course, check us out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They're all at Pursue Manliness. We've got a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, just about anywhere that you can uh, download podcasts on a regular basis. You'll find the pursuit of manliness there. So, men, thanks for listening, and let's keep pursuing biblical manliness. Get out of that comfort zone. Men, don't waste another moment. God has called you to lead your home. Don't waste another day I'm a warrior I'm a lover I'ma never give up On your brother I'm a superhero A sinner that Christ redeemed